Hi, y'all. Welcome back to Resilient and Rowdy. This is your host, Jess. And today joining me is Josh White, the host of the Hero Front podcast. Welcome, Josh. What's up, y'all? How we doing? Hello. Um, all right. So you and I have, you know, been in the podcasting world for a minute, but I feel like you bring such a genuine and much needed positive and, you know, like good developing type of energy into the podcast sphere, especially in the military sense. And I feel like you really sit down and have a lot of awesome discussions with, you know, really good leaders with really great minds. So I really want to just like showcase that and highlight that and kind of dive into your journey of, you know, the podcasting world specifically in the military sense. So Josh, just tell us a little bit about you and your podcast. Yeah, so that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll start with the. Um, we'll start with where I grew up. So I grew up in Waldorf, Maryland. I'm fourth generation Air Force. So wow. great great grandfather, Army Air Corps pilot. You know, all the way down to my dad being in. So it's been a part of my life and on my mind since I was little. But uh, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Um, divorce pretty much tore my family apart. Um, to the point of like picking sides and just all those ugly things that you hear. And, you know, that I started to become a very angry child, right? Um, I would cause problems just because. Uh, yeah. And so like I, I had trouble with school. I had trouble staying out of trouble. Um, and that's all because, you know, I just didn't know how to handle like all those feelings about the chaos in my life, right? Yeah. It was still a great childhood, but that that kind of planted a seed that was going to grow into something <clears throat> really bad later. Yeah. So I joined the Air Force. Um, my first base is Anderson Air Force Base, Guam. The drinking age was 18, believe it or not. Uh, it's since changed to 21. <laughs> um, no thanks to me and my friends, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was my first base. I was aerospace ground equipment. I'm not a mechanic. I should never have been in that career field. Like, I am God awful at that, right? Like yeah. it is a danger putting a wrench in my hand and saying, yeah. go fix that. It's literally dangerous. But luckily I found a, I found my niche within that career field and that's driving the flight line. It's a different skill set, and I have ADHD. So the, all the different radios and different spots to drop stuff off at, I got good at that. And that's what allowed me to basically not get kicked out for sucking. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Hey, like, Oh, I got good at the job that everyone hated basically. Um, okay. and so I, I, I got to last in that. Um, I ended up cross training. I did military funeral honors, public health, all these different cool jobs got to go to, I just got done with a deployment in Israel, prepping them for what's happening now. Um, I got to do humanitarians like in the Dominican Republic through being a medic. Um, it's been, it's been really cool. Um, where that I, I mentioned earlier that I planted that seed, right? Mm -hmm. So I basically became an alcoholic at my first base. I just didn't know it yet. Right. I just took it overboard. I, because that anger would manifest in binge drinking where I would lose my mind. Like it, it was like Jack, Mr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like, you know, a, a flip would switch and I just kept getting in more and more trouble at my first base. Thank God I made it through that assignment. I had a ton of paperwork and also, and I had a horrible EPR, no decoration. I had all that, but really I'm thankful that I even stayed in the military to be honest, because it, it got that out of control. Um, you know, back then in 2005, 2006, being a, a maintainer, I probably had a little more leeway on acting a fool, right? Mm -hmm. Flash forward to now, I, I doubt that that would, that would have worked out in my favor. Um, but I had a lot of friends and I had a lot of great times in Guam. Although when I get really drunk, I'd get super angry and I didn't know where all these emotions were coming from, but I still had the support system from all my friends in tech school who just happened to go to Guam with me. Mm -hmm. I get to Okinawa, real world mission, 12 hour shifts, mop gear, gas mask, all that. Um, and I didn't have my support system anymore. I, I just got done spending time with my family. Um, for 30 days of leave after that first base. And I knew like I, I, that my family, like waving goodbye to me, I knew my family would never be the same. Like life would never be the same 
after that. So like that image of them together is like burned into my head forever because it was true. Certain people passed away, you know, um, certain people just went down a, a dark path in my family. And yeah, it was, uh, that was the hardest time to, that was harder to say goodbye than when I left for basic training because it, cause it was like, I knew that was the last time that they were all going to be in a good place together. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's how that, you know, next base started. It started in a place of depression, regret that I joined. I started asking myself, what am I doing with my life? What, why am I here? My friends in high school are going through college. What the hell am I doing? I'm an idiot. You know, I started really second guessing myself. Um, and in Kadena, I was on 12s for a year on night shift. So I look like a damn vampire. Um, it's brutal. And, uh, yeah, I, I would rush home as fast as I could to just get as drunk as I could as quickly as I could. Um, and that became my norm. And I started really isolating from everything. And when you isolate and you're drinking, like you just reach some really dark places. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a slippery slope at that point. Yeah, I've been there. And so I get to my next base after that, which was Whiteman Air Force Base, Missouri. So I grew up in the D.C. area. This is like country. I'm like, again, I feel out of place. Right. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I felt out of place my whole life. On, on my dad's side, my dad's the only, at the time, successful person out of his many, many siblings. So they saw me, they're all from West Virginia. They all saw me as some city boy, spoiled brat. They always gave me crap about it. Meanwhile, on my mom's side, who is a, a Christian family in Dallas, they thought I was like a wild child. So like I, I've always had this problem of like never fitting in anywhere I went. Then I'm in maintenance. I suck at that. I'm, I don't fit in with that culture either. I'm just like, man, this is brutal. And so my answer was drinking. And so I'm in Missouri. Uh, everyone's listening to country music and hunting. I don't do any of that. So I just, again, isolate playing Halo 3. Um, and the, that's that's when I reached my, my darkest point was, and by the way, this all ties into the podcast. This is like the origin of where it all stems from. Okay. Yes, the Josh White lore. Right. <laughs> exactly the lore. Um. So, what happened was eventually I didn't want to live anymore. Now I'm not the person to like. I never thought out like ending my life. Like to me that was kind of like gross. Like ew, someone's gonna have to find me. Like this just it, just the thought of that was just gross to me. So yeah. I started slowly. I started killing myself slowly over time. I don't know if there's a word for that, but there should be because it's a thing. Yeah. Started taking Ambien, mixing it with alcohol, and just hoping I didn't wake up the next day. Like it got to that point. And then at my lowest point, because of those unhealthy habits, because of where my head was at, I had virtually no immune system. And when I got the flu mist, which is a live virus that is a you, you snort it through your nose. They no longer do it anymore because it's too harmful. Um and that gave me myocarditis, which is the inflammation of the heart. So now, I'll, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. I go to the ER. They scan me, put an EKG on me. They're like, we got to get you out of here ASAP. Like, you might die. Like, this is bad. Go to Kansas City to a, like, a. it all happened so fast. Like, I thought I was going to get quarters and go home and sleep. I didn't mm -hmm. think I'm hopping in a damn ambulance and them telling me to call my family to, that they should come out. You know, because I'm going to be staying in this hospital for a while. I'm like, it all happened so fast. Yeah. Um, so my dad came out. Um, I had like a minor surgery where they had to cut an artery in my groin and string a camera up there to look at my heart. Hurt like the recovery from that was absolutely brutal. And, and, and that artery is permanent damage like because of that. So the VA best be paying me when I retire. Just saying. Yeah. Um, and so I got to spend a lot of really great time with my dad. And I think that's ultimately what saved me is I finally had the one-on-one -on -one time with a family member. I finally got a, a moment to breathe. So although I was in on my deathbed, literally, I was still happier than the life I was living on my deathbed. Because wow. I was spending time with my dad and I was out of that environment. Right. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, that wasn't my rock bottom. Uh, I thought it was. I thought I was going to turn my life around. I was back to puking in my sleep from drinking. Like it, I was right back to it. And I was like, I'm going to die. Like if that didn't stop me, then what the hell will, you know, it got to that point. 
Um, how it turned all around, that's kind of a long story in itself, although it is important um, to, to summarize that part. Um, some new people came to the shop and they, they wouldn't let me isolate, right? They liked spending time with me. They thought it was funny and they kept getting me out the house, kept getting me out the house. And I don't even know if they know it to, you know, today, they probably don't because I lost touch with most of them, but they pretty much saved my life really because they, they got me out the door and guess who I met when I went out with these group of airmen and they finally got me out the house. I met my future wife. Yes. I met my future wife. I saw her at the movie theater and it was like, love at first sight. I was like, I have to like, I, I just kept going to the movies just to see her, just to keep talking to her. Um, <laughs> so, and, and then we ended up just really hitting it off. Um, and now we have two beautiful children. Um, but ultimately that's when I started turning it around because I started having, I had someone who I wanted to be with that was out of my league, you know? And so I knew, I knew I needed to make some changes, but it ultimately didn't stop until two things happened simultaneously. One, I was in military funeral honors for two years. So at the start of that, I thought I can't drink and do this job. Like I, I could get called in the night and cause one of my airmen's in trouble. I, I it was me and 30 airmen, mm-hmm. right? I'm used to like two. Now I got 30 and they're from all different parts of the base and they all got their own good, bad and ugly issues. Right. And mm-hmm. so I had to tend to that at all times. So I thought, man, I can't, if they call me and I'm drunk, like what, are, that's going to look horrible. Like what, what am I going to do with that? So that career inspired me to take those two years and to try to better myself. I didn't know I was, I didn't think I could stop drinking though. Cause I was so socially awkward. Um, and just talking to people would give me anxiety. What I didn't know is that it was the alcohol that was causing that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You think it does the opposite. Right. Like it loosens you up, but no, and it, yeah. And it can make it worse too. So, I mean, good for you for having that type of like self-awareness. Yes. And then I, my daughter was born. Um, I remember drinking one night. I was like carrying like a, like a tray of food. I just sat her down. I was carrying a tray of food. And because I was drunk, I dropped everything. It fucking shattered all over the ground. And I was like, that could have been my daughter. Like, because I'm drunk, I'm going to drop my kid. Like what it just, that just really bothered me. Right. So I was kind of looking for any reason to stop, but I didn't quite know how to live my life without it. Yeah. I, Cause it's become such a crutch for me. Um, but how it all turned around was I never had any awards or recognition up to this point in my career. I was never the type to like put myself out there. I was always trying to lay low and dodge any sort of additional duty whatsoever. Right. Which is why I wasn't successful. Like the first 10 years of my career, Mm -hmm. cause I just didn't piece that together. I didn't have the courage or confidence to really take things on and put myself out there again. This was the alcohol and I just didn't realize it. Right. Cause it puts you on pause. Like you can read every self-help book in the world, watch every YouTube video in the world. And if you still have this crippling dependency on something, none of that info is going to change your life or help you in any way. Yeah. Right. Like ultimately that thing holding you back is, is going to stop you from growing period. Um, and uh, so I finally had the, what I call the trifecta. I had, when I was in military funeral honors, I had an amazing boss. I had amazing teammates. I hired some people that were in the National Guard uh, or the reserves. Um, and I had amazing airmen. The first wave was really tough. I'm not going to, that's a story in and of itself that's just insane. But the second class, I got to basically handpick and I got the sharpest airmen, you know, around base. And that year, my whole life changed. So I, I definitely learned that in one year you can make your life astronomically better or you can ruin your life, yeah. but you can do a lot good or bad in one year. A lot can change more than I thought. And so I, I finally won an award. Um, it started at the squadron. Uh, then it went to the group. I won there. So now I got two awards. I'm like, okay, I, I had none. Now I got two. This is, you know, this is pretty cool. It goes to the wing. Well, the wing knew that I helped turn that program around, right? Because they're the they're the airmen that I'm borrowing, so they mm. know they've seen it. Once that happens, I went at the wing, and then I'm like, whoa, like I, I just beat the whole base. Like this is crazy. 
I don't even know what happens after that. But what happened after that was it goes to the numbered Air Force, which is like a, a group of like four bases on all those winners. I won that. And then it went to the MAGCOM, which is like eight bases, Global Strike. I won that. Once that happened, I was basically like Air Force famous for a time. Like I got to meet all the Air Force leaders. I got to do all these trips. I, I got to do like a, a winner's tour, essentially. Um, and that... That belief in me, and so let me go back to that wing award. Once I won that award, um, and I had people believe in me, and I I was so happy and proud of myself that that was actually the day I stopped drinking. Wow, that, that's yeah. amazing. Like, I didn't plan it or anything. What happened was, you know, it was me, my baby girl, my daughter, and my wife. We go out to a restaurant to eat. And I'm like, man, I'm going to get annihilated like this. I was I would always look for excuses to like get annihilated. Right. Good or bad. I just liked I liked having that excuse. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, I just won this award. This is crazy. I'm going to get I'm going to get super drunk. My wife's going to be OK with it because we're celebrating. She'll drive. Cool. And, you know, when the waiter finally came over. I I, I was so happy. I, I was like, you know, what? I don't need this alcohol like. I'm max. I'm maxed out on happiness right now. Like every nothing, everything in my life is going amazing for yeah, the first time. You don't need to escape. I didn't need to escape. That's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and so I I took uh like water with lemon or something, and I was like, wow, I didn't drink. I, that's crazy. And from that day forward, I've never drank since then. And that was like four years ago, maybe longer. I don't know. I haven't really kept track of it. But it, it's been four to five years, I would say. Wow. Isn't that wild? Dude, yeah, especially cold turkey. Like that is like, it's so rare. And I always get just so blown away when you hear about it. But that willpower, that strength. And like I said, like you didn't have to escape. Like you're in such a good place. You have community. You have that support. You have people believing in you. And that's why, I mean, that emphasis in whatever community you're in, that is like obviously where people are going to thrive. So I'm so proud of you. Sobriety is never easy. And I just, you know. Yeah. I, I listened to your podcast when you, the, uh, it's your bestie calling. And yeah, you, you talk a lot about your journey. You're trying to stop yeah. and how it, it's not easy. Cause there's certain uncomfortable things in your life that will reveal itself when you stop drinking right and uh i mean a perfect easy example is like a social gathering right if you're not drinking people that will actually piss people off like you might lose some friends yeah over that decision it right? doesn't make any sense that's what i just i still can't wrap my head around that i'm like if i'm not drinking that just means more for you right like <laughs> I, I think you're just a reminder of what they wish they could do. I mean, I, I don't, I can't understand it any other way than that. You know, that th they're deep down inside. Maybe they want to stop and seeing you do it just makes them feel bad about it. I don't know, yeah. but I lost, a, I lost a lot of friends. Um, neighbors used to invite me to, to get together as they stopped because it was, it was, but I was also awkward as shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm so used to using the alcohol to be comfortable in, in my own skin. Yeah. I didn't know who I was. Okay. I didn't know how to act. I was like, what do I do with my hands? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just was walk around like this. Yeah. Uh, but so how did you? It, it just, I just had to keep failing. I just had to keep screwing it up. I mean, so like even with Airmen, even at work, I'm trying to like put together slides and brief this. And I, I just had to embarrass myself. <laughs> enough times to where I learned who I am and how to properly express myself. Yeah. And uh, that I will say that a lot of people, whether it's substance abuse issues, alcohol issues, or self-esteem issues, that is like the number one thing that intimidates people of, you know, self-improvement is they don't, they don't want to do that reflection. So that's really awesome that you did that. And I mean, I feel like even still to this day, I'm sure you still get nervous or anxious and you still show up and you do the damn thing. So I applaud you for that. It's, it's, 
And I feel like kind of like how you said, I'm not sure if you can relate, but like, like for me, it's like, I know I'm going to embarrass myself. And at this point, like who cares? Like, right. I probably made someone laugh and like, that's, you just got to just take it and run. Like just. Yeah. Just there, I mean, you got to be comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. That's really it. Uh, and that's a, that's something you have to work for. Right. Yeah. You do have to work for it um, by trial and error, by educating yourself and, and taking a risk on yourself. And then what, you know, my whole life changed by taking a commander's call on like once I took that commander's call that scared the shit out of me, but it was successful. Mm -hmm. That opened the door for me to fill in for the first sergeant, which is basically like the middleman between the airman and the commander. I did that for three months, which was like a level above my rank. That went well. So that opened the door to being the commander's exec. I was the only enlisted exec for a group commander on the base wow! that opened the door for me to go to the honor guard program. The honor guard program led to me winning the award to not drinking, going on that awards tour, meeting all the leaders of the air force, having them be familiar with me. Um, and then ultimately changing my life changed. It changed my whole life. And it all started with taking that one chance on myself with the commander's call. Cause I thought about this, like the domino effect, like where did this start? Right. It started with just the simply just taking a commander's call and saying, I will run this. I'll do the slides. I'll get the people there. I'll, I'll get the guest speaker. I'll do all that. And it all started from that, which is just kind of crazy to think about, like how that one decision, although seemingly so small in the moment, changed the entire trajectory of my life. Okay. This is what I'm saying. Like in one year, a lot can happen. Right. Yeah. Um, And so. While I was in honor guard, <clears throat> as you can imagine, it's hard to keep airmen, especially ones with trauma, like positive while doing funerals day in and day out. Right. Yeah. And then unfortunately, we had a lot of active duty funerals, too. So it's wherever that airman who passes away, wherever their home of record is, that's where they're getting buried. Right. Mm -hmm. So like you don't know when this is going to happen. Yeah. No. Right. It just you know, you see one in the news and you're like, I wonder like, as honor guard, we'd wonder like where their home of record is. Cause that honor guard's going to have to, to do that active duty service. And we had seven while I was there, seven, which is like insanely high. I want to say five were suicides. So you can imagine handing flags to children, to spouses, you know, crying like, like their soul is dying on the inside. I can't even, I can't even describe to you how insanely painful it is to provide that service, but it ultimately helps them with the grieving process. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's very symbolic. Um, Absolutely. Even handing the flag over, they they'll oftentimes lock onto you and won't let you stand up or they don't want to take the flag because that symbolically finalizes it. Yeah, that's very true. So wow. they, they'll hold you and they won't let you get back up. And uh, you could imagine trying to do a job like that. And if I was still drinking, there's no way I could do that job. Right. I would start half the contemplating how I could be buzzed to do something like that. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. I, like I would have escape, you know, again. Yeah. Yes. Um, and although that was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, it was also the most rewarding. But for the airmen, keeping them, you know, positive, keeping them entertained, happy, all that, um, I thought, you know what, like a quarterly award, an annual award, that's just like one person, four people a year, essentially, yeah. out of the like 150 that I see. Like, that's not enough. Like, I got to find a way to make them feel valued mm -hmm. outside of this very rare award that pops up just four times a year. And so I created a Facebook page for the base honor guard and I started just highlighting airmen and learning their stories. This is how it all started. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, it's such a genuine way to boost morale. So you start the Facebook page and yeah. then, and then I realized really quickly that you can create joy from nothing tangible you know what I mean? We like we think we need to like get an award or or something we can touch or see or feel, but we were creating joy from just conversations and highlighting them and telling their story. And their parents would share the posts, their supervisors would share it, and I was like, "Wow! Like this is like such a 
simple concept, but like it's so effective and it's like helping so much for them to feel like seen and heard. And it was just an amazing experience. Um, now, when I after that assignment, I got pulled into COVID ops, which was absolutely brutal. I was public health. Not the best job to have during a pandemic, I've learned. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so I got pulled out early by a few months to run COVID ops for Whiteman Air Force Base. And that was that that could be a whole episode because it was yeah. chaos, right? Yeah. So um a, a bunch of things started wearing me down slowly. So it hasn't been all great since then. I'm gonna get into how my life kind of dipped back down which ultimately led to me doing the podcast. Okay. So when my son was born, he almost died and my wife almost died. It was an emergency C-section. My wife had like some sort of blood poisoning from germs getting in there. You know, my son was having seizures. He was cut off from oxygen. He got life flighted out. Um, they're like, yeah, he could, he could be dead. He could be handicapped, but, and you just don't know. Like, you have to wait forever. You just don't know. And I, I couldn't stand not knowing like mm -hmm. what's going to happen and what does his life look like? And I just couldn't believe like this horror story was happening to me. Like we're supposed to be going home with this baby. And then that's the, that's kind of the first time like I was like disassociated with myself, mm -hmm. like an out of body experience. Yeah. Because I think the, the gravity of the situation and the pain of the situation was so it was so far beyond what I could ever even imagine that I was just like blank. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like it went, it, it just destroyed me emotionally to the point where I just like froze mm -hmm. and was just like, I, I just didn't feel anything like it, that, which is actually terrifying. It's a terrifying yeah. feeling. Um, and I felt so overwhelmed because, you know, my daughter is supposed to be with me at home. My wife's in the hospital in the local town. My son's two hours away, you know, in Kansas City, Children's Mercy. What, where do I even begin? Like, where do I go? What do I do? Mm -hmm. um, and so my parents flew out, thankfully, and that, that, that helped tremendously. Okay, so my son, he's amazing. He's fine. It all worked out. All right. He did something called cooling where, that I had to sign for. They, they basically pump the, the, the child or adult with morphine and then freeze them, <laughs> like put them in like a very cold temperature. I know this sounds crazy, but when someone's having seizures that won't stop, this process will save their life. Yeah. Uh, and it's called cooling therapy. And I have to attest to that. That did save my child. Yeah. So I'm in this weakened state from all this, right? And I have never quite been the same since then, but the funerals I, and, and the last act of duty was like a friend of mine's spouse. So I personally knew the, the person involved. And so, and it was an active duty funeral that jacked me up. My son almost dying that jacked me up even more. Um, and I just felt, I just kind of felt out of sorts after that. Um, shortly after I went to the pandemic ops, Mm -hmm. the leadership was treating us like dirt. They were threatening to replace me. Why aren't you guys making this go away? It, just all sorts of harassment and, and unreasonable things to ask of this team that just got put in this situation. That made me even worse, right? And I'm on 12s. I'm, everyone's pissed off at us while we're working harder than anyone else. And it was just a nightmare. I get orders to Eglin. Again, this could be a whole story in and of itself as well, but I'm not in the best headspace, right? Long story short of it, there's someone who's competitive with me before I even get there, right? Because I have this reputation. I'm, I have an online presence. I'm a, a you know, 12 outstanding airman of the year. Mm -hmm. And someone was threatened by that. So started putting a bug in this officer's ear about negative things about me, trying to paint this picture and create this bias before I even get there. I know this now because I put a lot of thought into it. Okay. At the time, I didn't understand where it was coming from. You know, I show up and, and this person won't even look me in the eye or shake my hand. I've never met this person. I'm like, what? That's supposed to be my supervisor? Like, what is going on? Like, this is... That's suspicious. This is real. And, and like the the anger and the... And the Resentment. 
was so high. Like even people who I've intentionally tried to attack or hurt didn't loathe me as much as this person. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what? And on my first interaction with this person, he basically said, your career ends here. Like the, your, this is your reality check. And I, and I didn't think one person could derail my career, but if there's a, a, a commander who has a lot of authority, if that one person doesn't appreciate you, yes, one person can ruin your career. Absolutely. Cause I'm living proof of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, damage started being done in my career, poor ratings, uh, horrible assignments, horrible jobs. And I, I was basically, you know, on cloud nine from that 12 outstanding airman of the year. Now I'm like treated less than dirt. Um, and it just put me in a really negative place. I ended up, uh, getting on antidepressants for the first time in my life because it, it, it all just became too much with the, the funerals, my son, and now uh, COVID ops. And now I'm dealing with this person who's going to made it clear they're going to ruin my career. Um, and so I went on antidepressants that helped that, that really did help a lot. It was really scary at first. I felt worse at first, but I, I read that that happens. So I hung in there um, and thank God I did because it did start to, to help. Okay. That's great. Yes. Um, and I started therapy and someone to talk to that was just unbiased from the situation. So all that helped a lot. Um, but I was feeling very, I, I wasn't feeling fulfilled. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting zero job. I dread my life at work. Yeah. Um, I used to do this thing with honor guard where I highlighted these airmen stories and that was just such an incredible experience where I, I got to like, Get, show gratitude through someone by sharing their story. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? I need that back in my life. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Um, you know, cause I, I'm not in charge of some big mission with all these airmen. Like, what am I going to do? And that's when I got, I, I finally got the idea that I'm going to do this podcast and I'm going to show gratitude to other veterans and share their story and just create joy from nothing. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And and honestly, that got me through these tough times because although I was treated less than dirt at work, just hating every moment of the day, at least I could come home and feel valued from the people that I was highlighting and interacting with. Yeah. I could control that. Right. So I doubled down on that. Um, and that made things really hard for me at work. Again, they're like, you can't do that. You can't talk to this person who gave you authority to do that, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so it was really hard, but I was like, you know what? You already jacked up my career. Like I'm, I'm and so I doubled down on the podcast. I'm like, no, like <laughs> good. I have nothing to lose now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and so I doubled down on the podcast. I've been doing that for three years. Fast forward to now, I'm probably the only active duty podcaster who has talked to a four-star general, a three-star general, the airmen have the best stories. Don't get me wrong, but like just having the, the trust from the air force active duty community to trust me enough to allow me to interview the top leaders of the world who basically their decisions impact the planet, you know, yeah. when have you ever sat down with a general? You barely see them. They're so rare. Yeah. You see them in passing. You might see them at a commander's call, but you're not going to sit down one-on-one -on -one and have a one hour talk with them. Right. That's super rare, yeah. but they, you know, over time and over these conferences that they sent me to, they started to see that those transparent, those leaders being transparent uh, and sharing their story, it allowed everybody else under them to know who they are as a person, which oh, yeah. ultimately builds trust. And on a scale of like hundreds of thousands, millions, Right. My annual reach was like 15 million this past year. So I, I, I'm so thankful that, you know, they trusted me with that responsibility. And I'm so proud that I'm paving the way for m many more people behind me, because trust me, since then, I've, I've helped people build their brands up. I always give people the time to, you know, help them create their brand online and do it the right way yeah. to where they don't catch any flack and they are providing something meaningful um, because it's a, it's, it's how the airmen communicate today. It's a whole different language to learn, 
Um, and I see so much value in, in doubling down on that. And I'm just incredibly thankful that I'm in a place today where it's welcome with open arms to the point where I'm getting sent TDY to do it, which is just amazing. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. And I think it's it's been a much needed breath of fresh air. Um, I feel like there was definitely, from my experience, maybe more than a decade, but there was definitely a period in time of active duty military um, or all its components where you weren't really highlighting people's efforts. Like that was just doing your job. And so, of course, morale is going to be low if you go out of your way to do something because, you know, people's lives are on the line or, you know, there's like a, like you said, like a domino effect, like you need to do this right. So that way this job can be done right. And there's like a trickle effect. And so when that's just taken for granted, like you're working these, these people to the bone and you almost like you dehumanize the people working under you. And then, you know, from there, their perspective of you is also a very dehumanized aspect. They see you as like a robot. They see you as someone that doesn't have emotions. And so for you to insert yourself into a space where they're not, you know, doing or highlighting, you know, fantastic work because yes, it's cheesy and corny and some leadership don't agree with it. But when you do, when you go out of your way to congratulate someone or to tell them that they did a great job, like it doesn't have to be this big ceremony. It's just you going out of your way to acknowledge someone just like it did for you um, in your experience previously when you were struggling with alcohol, like that could really turn someone's day around that they could really be like, Hey, wow, I'm an appreciated asset. Like I am part of the team. Like I contribute and my efforts are appreciated and noticed. They're not taken for granted. And especially in a, in a military space, you know, you take a lot of that for granted or you don't showcase or highlight people or, or even just give them the time of day. It's just, it's part of the job. And so that's why people are being like worked to the bone. So like I said, for you to just it like have that initiative to do that because you saw the impact that it did for you. I mean, that's just a much needed positive wavelength that has clearly echoed. Like you said, you're being sent to conferences. Like what's, what's that like? That, that, that was literally, I've literally dreamt of that moment. Like where, you know, before, especially when I was going through the hard times, yeah, I was having pretty bad dreams with bears trying to kill me. I don't know why, but I'd also have good dreams. <laughs> I'd also have good dreams where, you know, I was embraced with open arms with this hobby and, and it had such a huge impact. And I was having dreams like that too. And I noticed on that first conference I got sent to, it was literally everything I dreamed of. So I actually got to live out a actual dream that I had, which was like just unreal experience. Um so there's a, a group, there's so many different parts of the Pentagon. It's, it's unbelievable. Like when you just say the Pentagon, you're talking about like 2000 different groups of people. I mean, yeah. there's so many different unique parts of that. One of those parts was um, a vice chief of staff initiative called project Morpheus on entertaining the idea that we have to come up with a new way to connect with the younger airmen in today's times. Like mm -hmm. that's the point of this office. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, they thought I'd be a perfect candidate. Um, oh, well, I applied for a job there and didn't get it. The person who did get it was, is a really incredible person that I'm familiar with. But through that process of me trying to get a job in that office, they said, but you actually fit our criteria of like someone we should be supporting. So that that group in the Pentagon sent me to the Air Force Sergeants Association conference uh, in San Antonio, Texas. And I was basically there to just be creative. <laughs> like I someone paid his name's Todd Simmons. He basically secured a location because each spot's like thousands of dollars because mm. they're all like sponsors, you know. So Todd Simmons, he's a, a former uh, airman, amazing, influential person in, in the veteran community today. He secured that spot for me and a bunch of other people, other influencers of sorts, right? And so I had full control over, over my schedule. 
and I had a podcast gear, an in-person podcast gear. I would set up and I would just, I would just talk to people. I, I probably interviewed in five days, something like 30 people. Mm. I was able to capture their experience. Wow. So like 31 hour talk, I'm talking like all day long into the night. I would, cause I loved it that much. Um, and then I was able to, to do live streams by the end of that, the director of their social media and their marketing was like, you, we need to join forces. Cause like you're doing amazing things here. So I ended up getting access to all their social media, which was unheard of. Right. So now I'm live streaming from their page. And what ended up happening was this past year, I was on the official AFSA team. So they funded my trip, the Air Force Sergeants Association, which is a private org who basically fund the lawyers on Capitol Hill to defend veteran rights. That's like the point of them. But every year they have this conference to kind of give back to the airmen with all these speakers and courses and things like that. And so I got to go to Dallas just this past August to do it all over again. But this time I was an AFSA member. Like I'm wearing their gear. I'm, I'm working directly for them. I meet with the team at 5 a.m. You want to talk about this was a sprint. My God. Wow. It's like my hours were like 5 a.m. into the social hours at like 10 at night, like interviewing, talking to people, you know, tending to the, the, the experience that I had was invaluable. And they invited all the former chief master sergeants of the air force. One of them being the fifth and he's in his nineties, the fifth one. Whoa. So all the past ones, got together with the current one who's the first female to ever hold the role in the military's history. Oh, yeah. um, so to see her with all the past ones and to see them interact and hug each other. And I got to see the real them behind the scenes. And it, it was like, it was like being in a dream. I, Cause I'm seeing all this history in one room and I'm getting to spend yeah. time with them without anyone else there. Like, I got to hang out with them, get to know them, speak with them. Like it was just such an invaluable, incredible opportunity. And I was able to capture all of it. Like if you go to the AFSA page, I'd say like the last 50 poster are all stuff that I captured at this special event and uh, you know, special moments with senior leaders. They didn't know I was filming. Like I, I see the special moments and I have a way of capturing them and presenting them in a very transparent in vulnerable way that really, that really touches the viewer. You know, yeah. I, I have a good eye for that. I've come to learn mm -hmm. because I like seeing that stuff. So mm -hmm. when I see it, I know how to capture it, candidly capture it. And I know how to create the content. Uh, that's really, it really gives you that, that warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, when you see it. Um, yeah. I want, I want the, the audience, I wanted the audience to feel what I was feeling being there in person. Exactly. I was kind of just about to say that, like you, yeah, you have a very good talent of delivering that because you know how it makes you feel and you want the audience to feel the exact same thing. And sometimes there's like creative minds that kind of, you know, muddy the waters and you just, it's very transparent, like you said. So that that's such an amazing talent, but also it's such an appreciated talent because you know that effect that it has on people. So good for you for just putting that good stuff out there. And also like, you know, you, I'm proud of you too, for being able to show up and do all these cool things like, and doing it so humbly because I would be fangirling like crazy. Like it's a historical moment, but also like, it's a very like interpersonal moment too. And I just, I know I would be like in the background, like. <laughs> I probably would have, if I wasn't so tired because we were just working our tails off. Yeah. Um, and a, another cool part about it, I'll say is that that's kind of like my core target audience at this point in my life. Right. All these people are familiar with who I am and they're all in one spot. And so I, I was getting asked for selfies like crazy, which is like so trippy to me Yeah, that they're like, oh, it's that guy. It's the hero front guy. And all these people are getting selfies with me. But that social hour where they were drinking it like got a million times more apparent because like in our culture, we, we, we don't want a fanboy or fangirl in public, right? That's true. Yeah. They don't want to do that. So 
only the really truly outgoing people would approach me during the day. But at night when they were drinking, they're like, bro, your message is so important, man. I'm like, ah, I'm finally getting the, I'm finally getting the truth now. Yes. I was good. Okay. So I stayed there, like I said, till 10, 11 at night, simply for the conversations, um, especially when they're drinking and being completely honest with me and, and, and sharing their stories with me. And, it's such an easy segue to connect with people because they already know me. Mm. They know my values. They know my speaking style. They know who I've taught. They know so much about me that by the time I meet them in person, it's like we're immediately connecting and we're immediately friends. It's like shortens yeah. that gap tremendously. That's awesome. And it, it kind of takes away for the awkwardness. So it's that. And I think that's also something to be really proud of. Like, your online presence has clearly had an impact in multiple ways. And so I'm really glad that you just, you've overcome and you know where you shine, you know where your talents are and you're continuing this like energy of positivity, genuine positivity um, and highlighting people who are doing great things and kind of being able to showcase like their talents, their leadership skills. Cause I feel like that isn't always really discussed in a certain manner to where it doesn't grab the audience's attention. And I feel like we're in a very detrimental time right now with, you know, retention and numbers and stuff. So when you can genuinely deliver that and it's not fluff, it's not BS and it's very genuine and transparent. I think that it's just been a really nice breath of fresh air for a lot of people, whether they're active duty or they're veterans. Um, I can definitely speak on the veteran sphere. It's like, wow, I wish we had that. Like the army needs to do that. So good for you for just paving that way and continuing that good energy. Cause I, I can see that it's from a genuine place. And especially now that you've like really shared that story and your experiences and thank you for that. But it's just like, wow, I see this dude, he's constantly doing this, that, and the third. And like, it's just this nice positive light that you don't always see. So I'm, I'm really proud of you and I'm glad that you're continuing your journey and you know, you're enjoying yourself, but also like, um, you're seeing like the impact that you have. I think that's even cooler. So I hope that that like pushes you to continue. Um, would you say that wrapping up this year, you have any more goals that you want to accomplish with the podcast or in general, or you're like, you know, there's more work to be done, maybe a little more down the road. Like you're going to keep doing this. So I'll tell you something that actually really bums me out that I came so close to locking in. I, I've been waiting the past three months for an answer. If I'm going to podcast for the air force, there's a group of people, uh, high ranking people who really believe in me and wanted to put me in the resiliency office. Cause they think what I'm doing ties in with the air force resiliency program. It'd be a great fit and we could expand upon it in different creative ways. So, I mean, that's like my dream job, right? Like, and so I really had my hopes up and I just found out, yesterday um that it's not going to work out um that there, there's a whole story behind it but you know you've been in the military doing something new takes a, a lot of time yeah right in that process and so i don't doubt that someone behind me will be doing that so if okay. anything i open the door for someone else to pick up and, and take it forward and make it happen exactly and whoever that is i'll be in their corner cheering yes, them, them on that's yes. great that that's the other thing i want to touch on too real quick um when i did this podcast like i set out to you know boost every other veteran podcaster i meet right because it's it's kind of like counterintuitive in a way because like we're we you know if you look at it from a competitive standpoint you know, you want the best guests, you want the best talks, you want the biggest numbers. But I've come to realize that that approach just, it might work temporarily and in certain situations, but on the long run, it's a terrible investment that's all ultimately going to have you crash and burn. Yeah. And I deal enough with competition as being an active duty senior and CEO. My God. Yeah. It's very tough very competition. Yeah. These are these are all the sharpest people that I've I've ever met. 
Um, so I have enough of that in my life. But when I set out to do this podcast, I was like, I love when people come to me and they're asking for advice on social media. And I'm like, well, you should just do this or you should start a podcast and make it around this. They're like, well, I don't want to take away from you. So I don't want to do that. And I'm like, no, you're not taking away from me. And I want you to do that. Like, I love that they assume that I'm going to take issue with it and how I can totally blow their minds by just empowering them and putting them in touch with all the, the former guests that I have and just seeing them thrive and seeing them shine. And that approach in this whole process has just changed my life. Um, it just, I just love doing it. I love helping other people. I love building them up and, and having them believe in themselves so that they can have the same experiences that I'm having. Um, I think that's just a, a very wonderful approach that I see a lot of us take in our community. Yeah. I think that's honestly like a very crucial approach. I mean, if you're in a insecure kind of mindset, you would be threatened by someone writing a book or making a podcast, doing the same thing as you, but really it just adds to the conversation. Um, and I'm glad that you noted that. Cause I mean, I've been guilty of that. Like I remember years ago, someone was like, Oh, well they started a podcast. I was like, Oh no, but really I should have been like, Hey, you know, that's great. Actually. Like we can inspire each other and we can just add more to the conversation. Like, especially female veterans, you know, that's a sector in it, in and of itself. And so instead of being like, Oh no, like don't listen. To, it's like, Hey, actually they might actually have a really good perspective. They might have a different perspective than you. Um, but there's always a seat at the table. Like that's the thing. It's like, right. um, I don't understand that type of competition because we all bring something different and that's, that's the fun in it. That's the variety. Like if we all had the same type of podcast and that wouldn't be very interesting, but you know, we're all different and creative in our own ways and we can just continue to like highlight the conversation of, you know, whether it's touching on military matters or life or whatever else, it's really interesting to see people shine in that. And why wouldn't you want that for someone? If you're insecure, yeah. you you don't want competition. But if you are secure in yourself, like you are, you're actually genuinely helping, guiding, and empowering. You're like, actually, no, like that's a great idea. Like, and you don't gatekeep. Like these are little things that I'm just like slowly like throwing out there that I have experienced in this community, and it just makes no sense because, um, you know, if you have five podcasts that you know do the same thing it's it's just a little mundane but when mm. you have someone that comes to you with a great idea why wouldn't you want to right and i'm not, i'm not going to say i'm immune to that by the way cuz i'm not like uh, we're all human and yeah i think i think it's just important to catch it if it happens and really ask yourself why are you feeling this type of way um, right yeah. so like there are times where someone like it like me did something better than I did. And now they're a published author or, and now they got this speaking and get, and I'm just like, damn, like, how did he do that? And I'm like, why am I feeling jealous right now? I got, I need to take a step back and learn from what that person has done and try to incorporate some of those habits in, in my own life or even reach out to them and ask them for advice. Yeah. Is if you can get past your own ego with people that are, are doing something better than you, then you are going to be way more successful than just hating in the background, you know, cause we've all been there and that's not a fun place to be at all. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to remember that people are hating on you, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's people who wish they were in your shoes that's who true. can't understand how you're doing what you're doing and they want to be you that exists. You just don't always see it or hear it, but that's out there too. Yeah. And sometimes I don't believe it. I'm like, really? Like you're over here doing this and this and you're of me really like, so yeah. And that's the fun thing about networking and actually like building community. And, um, you know, I'm all about, you know, sometimes I keep to myself, but it's not fun that way. Like it's really cool connecting with people and you just never know what you're going to learn. Um, so I just, I really value that you add that you incorporate that. Like that's like a huge thing that like I feel when I listen to your episodes. And so you have these important and engaging conversations that you'll always have something to take away from it. Like whether you just pop in an episode, like on your way to work or at the gym or like while I'm cleaning the house, it's just like, there's always something very significant and a purpose to that. So I feel like 
whether it's like a personal or a professional aspect, I think you doing your podcast, it obviously kind of like helps you, but it's also for the audience. But I like how it kind of does both. It's like, it's like your own type of like, like it's therapy. Yeah, it is like therapy <laughs> for you. Yeah, and I, I, I can see it. I sense it. And that's kind of how resilient and rowdy is for me too. So I'm just glad that we're kind of on that wavelength and that you bring something like this to the table because it's always just – it's refreshing and it's needed. So definitely. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't, to hear I didn't answer your question though. Oh, okay. Yeah, your well, question was where am I going? Yeah, where are you going? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm kind of terrified right now and you've been through it, um, which is separating from the military. Oh yeah. So where my head's at now, where my heart's at and where my skill set is, doesn't align with much in the air force, right? Mm -hmm. It almost had a home. It almost did. Unfortunately, that didn't work out, Mm -hmm. but now I need a home on the outside. I, I, so, you know, me and my wife, we think retiring is the best option for us, my kids, give them some stability and not uproot them constantly. Um, like I was just in Israel. You can be putting some serious dangerous stuff in the military. You know, sometimes we take that for granted, but we, we 100% could be put in the middle of a fight that we didn't start. And our life is at risk to help these allies. So, you know, that's on my mind. Um, and we think retirement's the best option. What that looks like for me, where I land, I have no idea. It's an unknown. And that terrifies me that I don't know. I usually know the base, the office. I, I know all that. Now I I don't know for the first time in 20 years. Yeah. That's terrifying. Um, and so to answer your question, we'll see. We shall see. <laughs> I think that's the exciting part. But as you know, you're going to experience some ups and downs, but it'll always work out, especially with like the head that you have on your shoulders, all the networking you've done. Um, I think that you've already put your place in, you know, people's minds and stuff. They're going to think of you if you ever come to them like, Hey, like I'm thinking about this, but the unknown. Yeah. It's scary, but you can do it. And like I said, like, you know, you have a lot of people that, you know, and there's always people rooting for you. You just never know where opportunities could strike, but um, I just hope that you continue the podcast and, you know, you'll be doing it on the other side, but um, I'm just, I'm really proud of you and I'm really glad that you're in this community and like you're doing something about it. It's just, you know, like I, I keep mentioning, it's just, it's very nice and it's appreciated and it's, we need more of that. Thank so. you, Jess. I appreciate yeah. it. And same, same to you, too. Uh, your episode comes out on mine. I'm sorry for the delay, but I had to churn through the AFSA content first. Um, but your episode comes out in like a month. So I made sure to get it set up and ready in the shoot, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, no, I totally understand. Because <laughs> it's been like a year, I think, since we last that, that we had that episode and you were on mine. But I also want to thank you for doing everything you do especially for being a female veteran pod- that's even more rare than being a veteran podcaster right yeah. um and just seeing what you do for that community and how you interact with your friends like in your own platform um you're changing lives and no more no more breaks for you okay no more 6 month breaks for you that's too no, that's too much so I we know. the people need you so don't do that again okay 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 yeah that's fair and i, I appreciate that um but um, Josh, yeah, thank you for coming on and just being very vulnerable and sharing your story. And thank you for just showing up in your life the way that you, you know, need to. I feel like you've kind of stepped into your role and you're very aware of that and you do it so humbly. Um, but I really do hope that you keep continuing this, whether your military chapter is ending, um, you know, soon or not. I just hope that you do continue. But Um, in the meantime, where can people reach you? Where can people listen to you? Uh, where can, you know, where can they find you? So I just keep it simple. Herofrontpodcast.com. That has everything. But if you Google here, if you look me up on any music streaming app or any social media app as hero front or hero front podcast, I guarantee you will easily find me. Heck yeah. All right, y'all. This is Josh White. Thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, go check him out, y'all. He's he's pretty cool. He's a pretty cool dude. And he's got some really cool t-shirts. Hell yeah, I do.
You do. Yeah, I do. The, the <laughs> Top Gun Maverick edition. You need to get on that. It's on HeroFrontPodcast.com. Click store. And I got I got some fire merch. Hell yeah. All right, Josh. Thank you again. And uh, yeah, folks, that was Josh White. Be sure to check him out. He is all over the place. And it's definitely some very entertaining and influential information whenever you tune in with him. So yeah, thanks again, Josh. Thank you.